Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to EncoreDocs.com. This is MedEvidence, truth behind the data. In this episode today, Michael Corrin, Dr. Michael Corrin and Dr. Mitch Rothstein are kicking the nicotine habit. It's a brain thing. But first, Dr. Michael Corrin is a practicing cardiologist and chief executive officer at Encore Research Group, which conducts clinical trials across Florida. He has been the principal investigator of over 2,000 trials and has been published in the most prestigious medical journals. Dr. Michael Corrin received his medical degree cum laude at Harvard Medical School. Also joining us today is Dr. Mitch Rothstein. He's practiced clinical pulmonary and sleep medicine for over 30 years in Jacksonville. For the last six years, he has transitioned into clinical research as medical director of the phase one unit at Jacksonville Center for Clinical Research. Now be sure to subscribe to MedEvidence for weekly notifications. So gentlemen, as we've discussed in the previous segments, we've talked about quitting, we've talked about why we should quit, but what about medications to help with quitting besides like the patch? What else, what other options are there? So since you mentioned the patch, the patch is uh, nicotine replacement therapy. And so there's other ways to do that. You can either do the patch, you can do chewing gum, uh, you can do vaping, nicotine as well. Uh, vaping has some side effects with just the idea that you are again heat, superheating an aerosol uh, superheating a liquid to turn into an aerosol to deliver the nicotine can cause damage locally to the mouth depending on what prop what other chemicals are in the liquid that's being superheated that can cause damage to lung tissue as well and overall from all the studies that are out there people who use nicotine replacement in any form with or without behavioral therapy have quit rates that kind of get toward six or eight percent so it doesn't seem to be that effective by itself however we always tell our patients and mike i'm sure you tell your patients too if you're using just nicotine and not smoking cigarettes that's better for you than what you were doing before yeah i think most clinicians generally believe that that we much prefer people use nicotine replacement products than to smoke cigarettes there is some controversy in the public health space about that yeah, there's some hardcore public health people that say that people are never really free of the habit if they're just replacing cigarettes with nicotine replacement and that ultimately there's a high rate of going back to smoking. And, um, you know, it's an argument that happens back and forth. But in, in my point of view, and I know uh, Mitch Rothstein agrees with me on this, is that we just don't want people to inhale burned tobacco. Mm-hmm. And then the, 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 the way they get that nicotine is always subject to discussion. You know, some people like the patches, some people like the gum, um, some people like to inhale it. And there's, there's lots of different options. They're over the counter. When this started, we had, you need a prescription for these things. You don't need that anymore. So they're, they're widely available. And, um, now, and well, I guess we'll talk about some of these other newer delivery systems that heat tobacco rather than burn it. Mm-hmm. And some public health uh, figures uh, think that you know, while they're not crazy about that, at least you don't release all these toxins. 
So when you get when you heat, when you burn tobacco at very very high temperatures, you're releasing three thousand toxic, horrible chemicals. But you don't get that same um, distribution of these chemicals when you just heat it to a lower level. So I guess the difference between baking and broiling. <laughs> I'm not really familiar with the the heated tobacco model for nicotine replacement therapy. Mm. So it's mostly in Asia. That's yeah, it started out in Asia, but um, I think it's is it it's IQOS is the it's what it's marketed under here in the U.S. I, I believe it's been approved in the U.S., although there is some controversy about it. Yeah, it's pending approval. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I know it went, it went back and forth. I remember reading some stuff from the FDA about it. Mm. Um, and, again, this is the controversy about whether or not it's truly beneficial. Is it a bridge to other people to you know, to give them a sense that uh, smoking is less harmful than it really is? There's there's that concept as well. But uh, it's definitely improved in, in, in Asian countries. And I know there's um, uh, in some European countries and there's some – discussion here in the u.s i know and i've read some things back and forth i don't know where it stands exactly right now mm-hmm. yeah so but what is it then an e-cigarette is that yeah. just a like a electric cigarette yeah. right and, that, and that's vaping essentially oh, okay right concept. it's not the so, little yeah. like vapey pipe that i sometimes yeah, find when my be. college yeah. kids come to my house no, yeah the, uh, <laughs> e-cigarettes uh, have a multitude of different forms so the when they first came out they were re- relatively large and it looked like somebody for lack of a better word, had a bong that they were smoking in their car because there's a lot of aerosol that comes out. The device itself was very large, but there's smaller ones that you can get also. And it depends on, you know, the particular, one of the things about smoking is, again, the draw mm-hmm. of the cigarette, that, how it feels in your mouth, and that people have very particular likes and dislikes, and that will make them buy either larger electronic cigarettes or, or smaller ones. Just to, to mention one other thing about uh, vaping is there was a lung injury that was associated with vaping about five or six years ago. And yeah, the popcorn lung, yeah. They call it Alley, that acute lung injury from Valley, acute lung injury from vaping. But it turned out that it was only when people were vaping cannabis. It wasn't vaping nicotine because huh. the cannabis oil that they were using had this vitamin K in it. And when they burned, aerosolized the vitamin K, that was doing the damage to lungs. So the nicotine vaping didn't see that happen. These were just in people who were vaping cannabis. Hmm. Yeah, and just to be clear about the point I I made before, is that when you're vaping, it's liquid nicotine. Mm -hmm. It's not tobacco. Whereas the IQOS is actually uh, heating tobacco. So one of the theoretical advantages of that is you'll get more of the taste of the tobacco uh, and you get the nicotine, yeah. but not the other toxic carcinogens. Right. And so I, I, if I remember correctly, they, they determined that that point where you're releasing a lot of the carcinogens is something above 500 degrees. So the heating of the tobacco is at 500 degrees or less. And again, this is being looked at by the FDA, and by the time people listen to this, it may or may not be approved. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I know with vaping, it's all about flavors, and and there, some have smoke and some don't. I was at a baseball game, and they're like, no vaping, no e-cigarettes, but you totally see the smoke going next, you know, a couple rows down. It's like, that dude's totally vaping. But where's the smoke coming from that? So that's water vapor. Okay. Steam, okay. essentially, is what you're saying. All right. Yeah, and I don't know, Mitch, if, is there anything that looked at using vaping as a 
cigarette quitting strategy versus other nicotine replacement? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, in fact, the most successful uh, quitting strategy with nicotine replacement is through vaping. Okay. So, uh, and people that, and for all the reasons that you brought up, it's relatively new. We know that there's people that um, will relapse and go back to cigarettes again. But there's also, you know, when you look at high school students, it used to be that among all high school students, two-thirds of high school students would try smoking. Mm -hmm. Of the two-thirds that tried it, there were 20% who became addicted to smoking. And over the last 10 years, that number for cigarettes has dropped down to like 6%. Mm -hmm. But now 30% of high school students are vaping. Interesting. So there's still a lot of nicotine use out there. And maybe this nicotine use, you know, no one's obviously endorsing vaping is a good thing to do yet, but uh, maybe it's not as harmful as the burning tobacco. Right. And I think that mm. goes back to what you talked about, the stigma mm. of smoking. It's, right. it, it's kind of gone down, you know, it, or it's gone up. You know, it, there's a definite stigma and that high school students are saying, oh, I don't want to smoke. Ooh, smoking's gross, but I'll vape all day long. You know, I, that to me is what I see more having been a mom of high schoolers. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. And there may be a generational difference in this. So when I, when I, you know, when I see people smoking, uh, you know, I said poor guy got caught up in the culture when he was in high school and, and we stuck with it. When I see people vaping, it says they're just trying to get a chemical in their body. It's it, it's like it, this is all about the drug. And, um, you know, I don't know. To me, that's just as bad and, and, mm-hmm. and it's stigmatized, but maybe that's not true for younger people. They, they may not see this as just, you know, drug seeking behavior yeah and of course getting a cup of coffee is drug seeking behavior as well <laughs> so you know when i think about it objectively it may be not that much different right but still that's where the cultural elements of of the stigma come into play can i throw chewing tobacco into this conversation at mm-hmm. all uh can we just talk about that i i went to college and in, in colorado it was a big thing to have that that big old bunch of chew in your lip uh you know, let's yeah, I mean, it's the same basic addiction to nicotine applies there, too. You just have different consequences. So with uh, the big chew in your lip, the nicotine in your body lasts longer because you're always it's always being released into your bloodstream mm-hmm. while you're chewing. And the, the downside of it, obviously, is that, you know, instead of developing lung cancer or heart disease, you develop oral cancer, mm-hmm. and tongue cancer, and... You know, it's, a, it's a, like pipe smoke. It, it, it's all kind of the same. The, the, the chemical effect of nicotine is still mediated through dopamine. It's just the delivery system is different. And the associations that you make with the use of nicotine differ depending on the delivery system. Yeah. I mean, it's still hitting the same receptors right. in the brain and, and doing the same release. Right. right. All right. All right. So uh, what else about some of the quit smoking meds? Is there a pill? Uh, lots of pills. <laughs> we, we, have, we have pills for everything. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and we've done this research uh, over the last 20, 30 years at Jacksonville Center for Clinical Research and Dr. Rothstein and our other colleagues, uh, Dr. Jack Mine, are involved in these smoking cessation trials as we speak. So um, if people are interested in that, you know, give us a holler. But um, the, the strategies are really where we can start the conversation. And uh, uh, the strategies that we're now looking at are sort of fooling the brain into thinking that it's getting what it needs. Uh, so the same things that satisfy the brain in terms of dopamine receptor uptake 
are being applied. And so uh, the product of the market that people talk about is Shantix and that it was uh, developed. I think we actually did a uh, study or two with, with that back you know, years, years ago. But we're now, as we speak, involved in some of the, the studies that are looking at similar mechanisms. And I'm sure Dr. Rothstein can talk about it in a little bit more detail. The, the cytosine or study that we're doing now right. is also a nicotine receptor blocker agonist, partial antagonist, and it takes the space where nicotine would land and it lets uh, the person experience some of the dopamine euphoria from having a, another agent there. And the study that we're involved in is actually a third phase study of a drug that's been out in Europe for about 30 years and has been associated with much higher success rates for smoking cessation than any of the products like Chantix or Bupropion, Wellbutrin that we've been using in the United States. And in this particular study, we're looking at patients being given either the drug three times a day for the course of a 12-week block. Uh, six-week block or placebo and the way the study is designed is that one group is going to get a couple rounds of placebo one group is going to get a round of the medication then a round of placebo and then another group is going to get two rounds of the drug and we're going to compare quit wet rates early on during the first six-week part of this study as well as during the second six-week part of the trial and then a year later on Mm. and uh, because of the success rates on some preliminary studies done in the United States as well as lots of studies done in Europe. We're very kind of excited about this. This seems to have at least as good an effect on helping people stop smoking with behavioral therapy. So all the patients in this study will be getting behavioral therapy as well as Chantix does and at with seemingly a smaller side effect profile. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of exciting details for the study. But in the interest of time, I'm going to have to ask my questions in the next segment. I'm your host, Michelle McCormick, and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corrin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of MedEvidence, the truth behind the data. 